Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as we look at God's Word together. A few years ago, there was a popular show that was called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You remember that show? Any of you? I, I never saw any of you on it, huh? But you should have been on it, shouldn't you? I mean, in the comfort of your living room, you can answer so many questions, it seemed, that those people on, that were contestants, that sometimes they would fail to answer. You would think to yourself, you know, I ought to be on there. But you know, one thing that they had, one element that they had was this idea of phone a friend. You remember that? That if you got in trouble at any moment, you could call up a friend and they could tell you, hopefully, the answer. Now, I will be honest with you, there have been days in my life as a pastor that I wish that I had that phone a friend. Well, let me say this. I wish that I had one of those phone a Peter or phone a Paul. I'm talking about I wanted to go straight to the horse's mouth and hear from them exactly what I should do or where I should go or how I should lead the church. Now, yes, there are many people in my life who have who have thankfully invested in me, and I could call them and they could give me counsel, but I'm talking about I wanted the authority of an apostle. Or if not an apostle, certainly even better, I would rather talk to Christ himself and let him direct me and guide me in certain areas because there are things that come up in the church's life that will make you, really make you stop and question, where should I go? How should we react as a church. Now look, these New Testament churches, like the church at Corinth, they had that opportunity. And in this letter here that you see, the first Corinthian letter, you have individuals that are reaching out to the apostle. They, they've got questions for him, but also he calls them. <laughs> it's kind of like, hey, I've heard a report on you, and you may not phone me at this point. You phone me about a few things, but I've got some other issues that I want to address with you. And that's what you see is Paul speaking to the church that he birthed, the church that he loves, and a church that he wants to guide in the right direction. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and really chapter 9 and chapter 10, you see him address an issue that they are facing. It is an issue over the food that or the meat that has been offered to idols. I want you to see how Paul addresses this as he speaks directly to their issue. He says in verse 1, now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better 
Or if we do not eat, are we the worse? But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, this is an issue for the New Testament church, an issue perhaps we don't face today, but an issue that was very real in the New Testament church, not only in Corinth, but also at Rome. As individuals who were coming out of a pagan past tried to clarify what that past looked like in view of their new relationship with Christ. Now, look. For many of us, we came from um, probably a Christian type of environment or Christian type of home. For many of us, not all of us in this place, but many of us were raised in a Christian type of community, a Christian type of home. And for us, it is hard to think about what life could have been as a being raised from in a pagan background and what life would be now, how it would be different. But for these New Testament believers, remember they are coming out of, especially the church at Corinth, they are coming out of this pagan type of background. They're coming out of this pagan type of practice. And they're trying to clarify what's right, what's wrong, how can I live in my relationship to Christ and yet still live as a part of the world. So here they address the food that had been offered to idols. Now, to clarify here, kind of give you some idea of how this worked basically what you would have in new testament day in corinth you would have this temple and you would have this meat that had been brought in specifically designated toward the worship of idols some of the food some of the meat would be used and it would be placed upon the altar and it would be consumed there as a sign of praise as a sign of worship Some of it would be eaten by the pagan priest. Notice even the pagan preachers of those days took their share of the food. They still spoke about it in the pulpit, okay? They would eat. And then what you would have is this great feast there in the temple. And some of the meat would be eaten literally by the worshipers. Some people have suggested that these were the first first restaurants, if you will. The first restaurants of people coming into the temple and they would, they would eat together and they would have some of the finest meat that you can imagine. I mean, the way I see this is I see this is like a Brazilian steakhouse. Have you ever been to one of those things before? A few months ago, I mentioned my affinity for a Brazilian steakhouse. It's called Texas Day Brazil. And I spoke wrongly. I thought that there was one in Shreveport. There is not. But I am beginning a petition. <laughs> We're going to work toward that. I tell you, you go into that place and, I mean, they will come around and they've got just skewers of meat. I mean, every type of meat you can imagine. They've got lamb and they've got chicken and they've got pork and they have got steak. They've got beef. It is unbelievable. All you do is you turn your little green card over. Some of you have been there. You, you, haven't, ever, you haven't ever experienced this. 
You turn your, green, turn your green card over and you just keep eating and eating and eating. There's supposed to be a red side you could turn over and stop, but you won't even want to stop. You just continue eating at that point. So listen, this is the way you envision this, okay? At the temple, here it is, one of the first restaurants that was ever developed. The worshipers would come and they would eat the meat that were there in that temple. The meat that was there. Here they are eating and they're enjoying well, when you get saved and you uh, join the local church at Corinth, well, you didn't want to give up all of the affinities of the world. So what you would do is you would actually go and you would, um, you would still enjoy. You'd go to the restaurant and enjoy the temple meat. And for some, that didn't bother them. But for some, it did. And thus in the church, you had this discussion, this debate. Should we go or should we not go? And Paul tries to offer them some counsel here. What he says, first of all, is that it's not about food. He, he looks at them and says, understand that this whole issue that we're talking about, it, it's really not about food. And I think he affirms their basic beliefs. I think that they hold good doctrine overall. It, it, look in verse uh, 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one okay so what those who are going down to the restaurant would say and i believe this is a slogan that's used by the corinthians here is that idols are not real there is no truth in that idol thus i am okay to eat idol meat there 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 is no true idol he says we believe that there's one god for even if there are so-called gods whether in heaven or on earth and, and there are many gods and many lords in other words there there are many different idols that people have and that people worship although we know there's no real truth in them there's no authority in them we know that they exist and they are they have people's devotion he says even though that is the case we believe in one true God. Verse 6. Yet for us there is one God. The father of whom are all things. And we for him. Notice this. They have basically good theology. I mean Paul would agree with them. Paul would say you're absolutely right. There is no authority. There is no truth in idols. And yes you are right. That there is only one God. And it is only one God, the Father, who has created all things. And, in, and notice this, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things. In other words, it was through only the agency of Christ that these things came into existence. So I affirm you. I, I think that's what Paul is saying here. As I affirm your basic belief that there is no truth in idols and that there is only one God. I think he even affirms their belief about food. Later on, if you continue to read down in verse 8, it says, But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Basically, he says, and food is not going to, it's not going to increase your relationship with God or your fellowship with God. It's not going to take away from it. Now, listen, there have been a few meals that I thought I had a revelation of God over, you know? I had a spiritual experience. You ever been there before? 
But Paul says it doesn't matter if you're going to eat or you're not going to eat. It's not like you're going to be closer to God because you did or because you didn't. So he affirms them in that way. He says you've got good theology in that sense. No true idols, one God, and food, it's not going to commend you to God one way or the other. I think that's what he does is he sets up this theological base as he then addresses the practical concerns. He says to them, you've got good theology, you've got good doctrine, but it's not about food, okay? It's not, it, it's not even all about those things. We would agree on those things, but it's not just about food. Have you ever noticed how we as believers sometimes, we miss the point? in discussions, or in issues. A lot of times we're focusing on the smaller things instead of focusing upon the bigger things. Sometimes we're arguing and debating over the fine points instead of catching God's larger vision of what he wants us to do. You ever seen that happen before? Never in a Baptist church, huh? Never. There are moments that we focus upon the small things and we forget the larger picture. And here they are simply fussing about food. If you want to call it, it is the true food fight of the New Testament here. They are fighting over whether or not to eat meat sacrificed idols. And after Paul gives them the theological base and after he says, yes, you're right in these areas... He says, it's not just about food, but it's about principle. And what God, what God, speaking through Paul, does as he speaks to this church is basically give them a principle. I, I would say to you, he'd give them three principles, because I'm a good preacher, right? Three principles. I think he says something, something to them about the them principle. It's what I call the them principle. Uh, Notice again, he addresses their concerns of theology and he agrees with them. But in verse 7, he says, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Not everyone has come to see that these idols have no authority. Not everyone has come to embrace that idols are somehow... Uh, these idols are superficial and fake. Not everybody's done that. Some people, even those in the church, they are still struggling with this in their minds and in their hearts, he says. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. He says, in other words, if your brother goes down to that restaurant with you, to this great temple there, and he begins to eat this meat, he cannot separate in his mind that that idol is nothing. For him, this is an act of worship because he's been there. Remember that? This is the way your brother was. He used to go down to that same temple and he used to eat that same food. And when he ate it before, he thought it was an act of worship. And it's hard for him to separate now that it's not an act of worship. He says... It's going to be hard for your brother, and his conscience is going to be defiled. In verse uh, 9, he says, 
But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. He just said, you know, food doesn't commend you to God, whether you eat, whether you don't eat. Some people would take that little slogan and say, hey, it doesn't matter what I eat. I mean, even Paul agreed with me. Paul agreed with me and said it didn't matter. I could eat one thing or another thing. It's not going to affect my relationship to God. But Paul just pointed out that for some people, seeing you do this would violate their conscience. And thus, Paul turns around and makes this argument and says, don't let your liberty, don't let your freedom become a stumbling block for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. A stumbling block, a scandal, something that they would stumble over. For if anyone, look in verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened or built up to eat those things offered to idols? He said, if they see you there and you're eating and they believe that's a sense of worship, then won't they be emboldened to go down to the temple and continue to eat? And remember, for them, it is an act of worship. And you're, you're, you're actually encouraging idolatry. He says, so think about them. It's the them principle. You know, I, I really think in our churches we could use a little more of this principle, don't you? The them principle. What, what is it? That would be beneficial to them? What is it that would help them grow in their relationship with the Lord? What is it that I can do that would help move the kingdom forward and help them be a part of this kingdom advancement? What can I do? The them principle. May I be very frank with you that I think in many of our churches today, what we are creating and what we have created, I think sometimes unintentionally, we have created this culture of meism. It's about me. It's about my wants. It's about my concerns. It's about whether or not I am being attended to. Amen or oh me. We see it. Throughout the church's life, we see it in the way that people relate to us. We see it in the worship styles we have. We see it in so many different ways. It's about me. And, and I want to make sure that I have felt like that I have personally and that I have been ministered to. Now, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with God using individuals to minister to you. Being a part of the local church, you would hope that people would minister to you and that you would minister to them. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. But I think what we have done is we have taken this very concept of ego and we have baptized it into some type of biblical language and now what we have, what we have are churches that are filled with individuals seeking their own concerns and their own pleasures and they're not so concerned about the rest of the folks around them. And what Paul says is that I know your theology and I know that you've got it right. I understand that idolatry 
that idols aren't real. I got that. Paul says, I know that there's only one true God. I know that food's not going to commend you and give you a better relationship with God. But what Paul says is, you ought to be concerned about your brother and your sister in Christ. It's the them principle. He says, what if they see you and somehow their spirit is emboldened toward idolatry? Verse 12, he said, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I'll come back to that in a moment. Notice later on in, in chapter 9, he says, To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I'm understanding them. I'm trying to win them. In chapter 10, verse 24, he says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Do you hear that? I say to you that Paul took three chapters to deal with this one issue. Three chapters. And he said that each one should look at others' well-being. God's not called you to experience the Christian, rela Christian ex relationship on your own. He's put you in a family of believers. I am thankful that he's allowed me to be a part of a local family of believers. I hope you are. But he's not called you so that he can cater toward your every personal desire. What he has called you to and what he's called me to do is to look at other individuals, put them and their concerns ahead of ours, and apply the them principle. What are those things that can make other people stumble? Let me, let me give you maybe a, an example of trying to think in terms of building the kingdom and allowing other people to, to come along with you instead of being a stumbling block. I, I've tried to try to rack my brain this week on contemporary applications, and maybe this is not maybe this is not the best one, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, okay? Let, let's say that next Saturday night that I decide that I need to go out and do some witnessing. Good thing, right? Go out and do some evangelism, some witnessing. So you know what I've decided I'm going to do? I'm going to go down drive over to Wild Bill's Cabaret. Any of you know where that is? That was a test. <laughs> I don't either, by the way, but... <laughs> Let's say I'm going to go to Wild Bill's Cabaret because I know at Wild Bill's Cabaret there are going to be a lot of sinners. And that's where I need to go. So I go. I go in. I parked out front. Um... I'm there, I'm, I'm trying to witness and all, and let's say that somebody drives along, you're not there, I'm certainly, but you'll drive along, and you see the vehicle parked out front, and you begin to ask questions, and you think to yourself, when I get home, I'm calling Dr. Reggie, I'm going to give him a call, because I want him to know, 
I want him to know that I saw Randy Moore, the chairman of the deacon's car, parked right out front of Wild Bill's Cabaret. Because you know I wouldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't drive my own car, you know what? But somebody would be a little concerned. And, and you know what? The discussion would turn. Now, now, it's a noble thing for me to go. It's a noble thing for me to be witnessing, that is. But in that good thing, in that experience, somehow I believe that I would cause more issues for the kingdom, more issues for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a way you can do that? Yes, there's a way you can do that. Yes, Jesus ate with sinners. And yes, there need, you need to have those opportunities to somehow embrace those individuals and remind them of the good news of Christ. Yes, but there's a way to do that without harming your brother and sister in Christ. Because for some of those individuals, some who perhaps have been saved and cleansed from those things, they would say, well, now let's see, if, if, if Dr. Reggie, if, if he is there, and obviously I, I can't separate how he could be there and witnessing and all of that, before you know it, they might be emboldened to embrace something that is sinful. Now listen, none of us are perfect, right? And I'll tell you this today. Too many people are still blaming other individuals for their own sin. So we shouldn't say just because so-and-so does it, that makes it right. But what I'm saying to you is that I want to do everything in my power that I will not be a stumbling block to my brother and my sister in Christ. And Paul says here, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never again eat meat. Now, I can't imagine that, can you? I mean, meat is one of the four primary food groups that we have, right? I mean, nobody else experiences this when you eat a steak. And he says, you know what? If it comes down to it, I'll not eat another piece of meat. Because he had applied the them principle. Because it's not about me and how much pleasure I get out of it, how many steaks I enjoy in life. It's about my brother and my sister growing in Christ. And then I think the second principle, which is closely akin, you almost can't separate it, but I, I feel like I need to give you this separately is that you have the them principle that Paul applies, and then he has this love principle that he applies. The love principle. Go back up into that very first verse we read in chapter 8. He says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Now this sounds like it's starting off very well. Paul writes to this church. They're reading the letter, perhaps, that Paul has written. They hear these words. We all have knowledge. And you can imagine how they would sit up straight in their pews on those days. Yes, that Paul just commended them for their knowledge because remember, as you read through this passage, if you read through this book, they prided themselves on the knowledge they had. And then listen to what he says. We all have knowledge. 
knowledge puffs up. Almost just as soon as they assume that position in their seats, that position of pride, Paul, Paul confronts them about that pride. And he says, yes, you all have knowledge and you're going around saying, I'm free, I'm free because idols aren't real because there is only one God. Food doesn't do anything. Look at all the knowledge we have and before you know it, you have fallen into pride, he says. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love is what really, truly builds up. Uh, pride puffs up, love builds up. I mean, that's what he says. And the word that's used there is a word to speak of like building up a house, building it together. And he says love is what really builds up individuals. Love. Uh, look in verse 12 again. I read a moment ago. It says, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... He says, you sin against Christ. Yeah, I made a little note there as I was reading this week. You sin against Christ. And he brought Christ back in the conversation. Why? I, I think because Christ had been the supreme example of love, right? He had died for the believers. He had died for those who were parading around with great knowledge. He had died for those that were struggling in this matter of eating food that had been offered to idols. He, he, he had died for both. Christ had loved both individuals. And what Paul said, Christ loved you. Why can't you allow love to be the defining premise of your life if he so loved you? Uh, because what we're doing is we're actually sinning against him, the one who loved us. He says, love should be the guiding principle of our lives. The love principle. Well, it's applied all the way around. I, I, chapter 10, in this same conversation of the them principle and the love principle, Paul addresses the meat that had been sold in the marketplace. Because I told you there was some meat that had been offered on the altar. There was some meat that was uh, eaten by the pagan priest. There was some that were... That, that was actually uh, kept there in the restaurants and the temple. And then there was some food that was sold in the marketplace. And there were believers who would do that. So he said in verse 25 of chapter 10, he said, Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not, do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. By the way, underline that. I've used that with my kids many times. It's what the Bible says. Eat what is set before you with no questions about it. That's what it says. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I have given thanks? Give no offense, verse 32. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. 
just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. He says, if you go in and you're concerned about whether that meat came from the marketplace, he says, just don't ask about it. Just go ahead and eat. It's not the big deal. But then if it comes up, and if that is a big deal, just don't eat it again. Why? Because, yes, it's about the, It's because you love them. And it's because you're hoping that they will come, especially if they're unbelievers, they will come to salvation because you should love them. So it's the them principle. It's the love principle. And, and I'll tell you, I think it's the God principle. It, it's, it's the God principle. Because remember, the whole point here is, it's not just about food, it's about principle. Okay? You've reduced it to just a conversation about food when it should be a conversation about the principles by which we live in our Christian lives. And he says, I'm giving you the principle or the principles. I say to you, you ought to think about other people. I, think, I say to you that you ought to love other individuals and they ought to be demonstrated in your actions. And he says, basically, and it's a God principle. Because whatever you do in your life, whatever you are choosing, you should be able to do it in such a way that it will glorify God. That's really what he says in 1031. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whether you eat or drink, he says, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what he says in chapter 10, verse 31. That whatever it is, whatever you're supposed to be doing, if you're eating, you're drinking, then all of that's going to be done to the honor and the glory of God, the God principle. So can I do this? Whatever is, whatever is placed before me in the decision that I have right now, is it something that will truly glorify God? And that I can say that I can enter into this and what I'm doing, yes, absolutely glorifies him in his name and if you can't if somehow you think it will take away from the glory of God and the kingdom of God this is a radical statement but listen to me just don't do it just don't do it but I feel like I've got just don't but, Dr. Reggie, you don't know that. Just don't do it. The kingdom is so much bigger than you or me. The gospel, the sake of people's eternity, is so much bigger than your personal pleasure and my personal privilege. There are times we need to say, it's not worth it. We're just not going to do it. It's not about food, he says. It's about principle. I know some of you today are saying now, Brother Reggie, that's, I mean, we don't deal with these things today. I mean, we're not dealing with cert, certain aspects of food offered to idols. I mean, I, I hadn't been down to the local temple eating, so... Uh, pretty good message it was nice and but i'm leaving here rather unscathed this morning brother reggie um because really that doesn't apply to us 
I will tell you there is as much meism today in our churches as there ever has been. There is as much knowledge in our churches. And I'm not against knowledge, but there's enough knowledge in our churches today. Just enough that has made us prideful. In our churches today, there are too many of us that have forgotten the bigger picture of the kingdom. And we are dwelling on the small issues instead. I say to you, embrace the principle. Today, in this place, commit yourself. Commit yourself to say, hey, it's more about them than it is me. Hey, today, I want to make sure that I'm building up through love. And not puffing up through pride. Today. Would you commit yourself in this place during this invitation? Whether it's here at the front or right there where you are. Would you commit yourself to say, hey, whatever I'm doing. I'm going to make sure it's something that I'm doing that will honor God. And when I do it, everything, whether I eat or drink, whatever it is. I'm going to do it for his honor. and For his glory. See, God wants to speak to us. He wants to challenge us right where we are. Would you respond? Would you surrender? Would you submit yourself to him? Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and how blessed we are that even though we can't necessarily call up Peter or call up Paul, Lord, you have provided everything in your word that we absolutely need. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. And thank you for giving us principles that are timeless. God, today in this place, I pray that you would deal with us. Father, we pray that you would dislodge selfishness from our lives. And that, Lord, you would help us to embrace a love for our fellow brothers and sisters. A love for you that will guide our actions and our practices each day. God, speak to us as a church now. And help us, when we leave this place, to be more God-focused, more brother and sister-focused than we are me-focused. We pray it now. In Jesus' name.